Minimalists. <laughs> this is Ask the Minimalists number 39. We're here with TK Coleman. Our all-star. Yes, Cheers. Indeed. Thanks for so, being here, man. So TK, when we do guys. this, uh, we do this monthly and we do it for the true fans, the VIPs who support us on Patreon. And usually we're answering audience questions. We've done that 38 times, I think. But now you're here. So I think kind of think it might be appropriate for you to ask us some questions. This is TK asks the yeah. minimalist yeah. anything. Yeah. I am ready. What do you want to talk about today? I'm ready. <laughs> I wasn't prepared for this ahead of time, but I live in such a way that prepared me for this moment. So I follow <laughs> you guys on Twitter. Ooh. And I like a lot of the things that you have to say, but you know, Twitter only gives us what 140 characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 280 if if you're lucky. If you're lucky. Wait, what? What's that? They let you do 280. Now. Oh, I didn't yeah, even know. They that. Expanded okay. It. okay, yeah. So sometimes you read tweets and you wonder to yourself, hmm, what was that person observing in the world when they when they wrote that? Uh -huh. I mean, what were they thinking? And and sometimes I want to hear more. Like, all right. If you had to give your tips on how to frame this or how to apply it, what would that be? So I have a few tweets of you guys that I want to read yeah. right. and I want to hear the answer to those very questions. Love so, it. so I'll start with one on the minimalist account and this was uh, posted just this past week. No response is often the most appropriate response. Mm. That one is uh, something I talked to Jessica about quite a bit. So Jessica manages our social media accounts and we will occasionally get you know, trolls who are attempting to simply incite some sort of incident, whether it's anger, rage, yeah, some, fear, some negative whatever. emotion. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and I think often the best way to extinguish the fire is to let the fire burn and not add any fuel to it. And so that is often, if someone is only a bad faith actor, they only want to rile you up. The most appropriate response is to not engage with that mm. because there's no good faith sort of conversation, discussion, uh, even a good faith debate. It's not really there. That person isn't looking to have their mind changed or they're not actually looking to change my mind either. They're, they're looking to, to burn the whole thing down. So I imagine one thing that could make that difficult is when someone is calling you out publicly online. Mm -hmm. You're an idiot, or this belief is irresponsible, or minimalism is dangerous. I don't know why I'm doing Alex Jones for this. <laughs> minimalism is dangerous. <laughs> this is absolutely terrible. Turn of the Frog's gay. <laughs> <laughs> Josh is responsible for every gay frog in the country. <laughs> I mean, that is a true statement. <laughs> but not for the reasons you think. That's right. That's right. Oh, I don't What was I gonna say? What was I gonna yeah, say really yeah. quickly? is how do you deal with the fear that if I leave this negative comment about me unaddressed, it might adversely shape other people's perceptions of me. My mm. followers and friends might read this and be like, oh, maybe it is true. They didn't respond to it. Why does that matter? Mm. It matters because what I want to say is it matters because you do have friends and, and supporters who are important to you. They, they mean something to you, knowing mm -hmm. that you can have a relationship with them where you can be a positive influence on your life. And if someone can turn them away from you and convince them that you're a bad person, then you lose something that matters to you. If you're turned away from me because of a tweet, then you probably weren't turned toward me in, in the first place. Ooh. Mm. And so I, the, the way I look at this is, yeah, someone else can shape their own narrative. There's 
I don't have any control over that, right? It's not up to me to try to, I don't want to influence you, right? We may be influential, but it isn't my desire to change you. It isn't my desire to proselytize. It's not my desire to make you believe what I believe. I don't think what I believe is right and what you believe is wrong. I think, I think ultimately I don't believe anything. I think there are certain truths in the world. And what I'm trying to do is shine a light on those truths. And if that inspires you, influences you, that's fine, but I don't need it to. Yeah. I am, uh, I feel like I'm a very genuine person and like that has given me confidence or maybe the confidence helped me be genuine. I don't know what came first there, but, uh, someone who reads a tweet and thinks differently of me, it just tells me that they, like Josh said, they, they weren't that invested in the first place and I'm okay with that. I mean, I've kind of accepted that, you know, we'll never be able to please everyone. And there are some, you know, straw man, straw man arguments about things that Josh and I talk about. There's some cherry picked, you know, lines that people will attack, but ultimately, um, those people are not invested in what we do. And what I care about are the people who are invested. And I know for a fact, the people who are invested, they're not going to be affected by those, by those tweets. It sounds like what you guys have done a good job at doing is putting social media love in its proper context. It sounds like you appreciate the likes, the retweets, the, the support, but you don't look at that as the kind of love that you get from the friends who really know you at a deep level mm. and who would get, yeah. I don't yeah. think bad comments are bad, but I also, I think the only way to get there is to, to recognize that good comments aren't good mm-hmm. either. Yeah. What and do you mean by that? So if someone is praising us, it's a knee jerk reaction to say that's a good comment, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then it's also my knee jerk reaction to someone who is critical of us. It's my knee jerk reaction to dismiss that or come up with an argument against it. Well, why don't I have that same reaction to someone who praises me? Why don't I come up with an argument against that? The, the, for me, the truth, the capital T truth here is there isn't a good or bad. And the only reason the negative comments affect me is if I'm looking for the positive comments to affect me as well. And so I have to let go of the positive comments affecting me mm. positively if I want to let go of the negative comments. You can't have one without the other. Oh man, okay, okay. So I, I, I need you to help me out here, because if I did that, that would work. But here's what I want. What I would ideally like to have is an experience in which, if someone says, "TK, that story you shared really impacted my life in a positive way," mm-hmm. I, I want to be able to experience that as meaningful, mm. while at the same time having the composure you speak of, where when someone says, "TK, you're a complete idiot," that doesn't ruin my day. Mm. Are you saying I can't have both of those things? It depends on what you what what you want, mm. right? I'm I'm not saying there's a should or a shouldn't here. I, I'm saying that if you want to feel as though there is a good kind of comment that makes me feel good, that doesn't mean it's the truth, by the way. And if you're actually looking for the truth, the capital T truth, then just because someone said something you did was good, that's not the truth. Someone said something that you did was bad. That's also not the truth. Uh, there, there's truth behind all of that. So it, it's up to you to determine what 
what you want to get out of these interactions. For me, uh, I want to use, whether it's Twitter, YouTube, whatever, as a medium through which I communicate uh, because I have a great desire to do so. And whatever the, whatever, whatever desire is most, whatever you desire the most, that will win out ultimately. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard for me to get there too, TK. I mean, it's because when I see, like when someone comes up to us in an event and they're like, you don't even know this, but you and Josh, like you guys saved my life. And like that's, if it was just that one person who gave me a comment like that, it would make what we do worth it for me. Um, I guess, you know, I like personally, I appreciate the good comments. Uh, It's not why I do what I do or it's not why we do what we do. But what we do, I try to help people that resemble me. Like that's why we started The Minimalists was because I was like, oh, what I'm going through, there's somebody else out there going through this. And I feel like I've been able to learn a lot, a lot of lessons to help me get through what that was. And it turns out that, yeah, a lot of people were going through that. The negative comments for me, um, if it sparks up any, any negative feelings, like I have to look at that and ask myself, like, is there what what truth are they touching on that i feel like you know that that th- what they're saying is valid like if it yeah if it actually hits me and i'm like oh why would they say that and i get defensive then i have to look in the mirror and say well dude like what what are they touching on that you really need to like dive into a lot of the times you know like you know one of the big comments is um oh you guys don't care about poor people or you know something along those lines and I used to get riled up over any negative comment. So I would be like, no, no, you don't understand. Like if you just read this essay, if you listen to this podcast and like we talk about this, I grew up poor. Right, exactly. And you know, it's, but now I can look at that and be like, oh, like that's a straw man argument. There's no truth in that. That person is a troll. There's no understanding in it either. Yeah. And like, I don't have to, I don't have to respond to someone who doesn't have an understanding. Now, if they posited a question, Hey, hey, Ryan, can you tell me about how minimalism can help poor people? That's a different conversation. Especially if they're doing it in good faith. Yeah, absolutely. You can put a question out there in bad faith to like a gotcha sort of question. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think ultimately it comes down to understanding. And, and why does it, you know, I, I would just say, why does it matter what someone else thinks about me online? Why does it, because people, there are plenty of people who you've never met who th- have a, a thought about you. There are some, some criticisms or maybe it's feedback that you know i have received in life in general not just with the minimalists where i'm like oh like i actually need to look at this perspective Mm. and by the way i'm saying both sides the positive comments while they're not good or bad Mm -hmm. it is it can be a type of feedback it can be oh this is what resonates and so what i'm treating this as is uh, in a way as info as data and so if someone someone bad uh i'm using that in vocal quotes here leaves a bad comment I can look at that and say, oh, perhaps I didn't do a good enough job communicating that. And I can ask myself, did I, was there anything I would have done differently without, without judging it? Mm-hmm. And then at the same thing, when some, something good comes along, I can look at it the same way. Instead of judging it and saying, oh yeah, I guess I am pretty great. It's like, oh, that, what I said resonated. Maybe mm-hmm. I should consider mm-hmm. positing things this way in the future. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not I, dismissing it either way is what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I think with, with that mentality you guys are uh, espousing, you learn more when, when you're thinking that way. So, mm. for instance, I, I had someone respond to me once 
it was an online commentator and, and, and they said something like, oh, this guy just naively thinks that rich people are going to do the right thing and that every problem will solve itself and it's going to be all hunky-dory in the free market. My instinct was to be like, you know, and, and like get ready to respond mm. to him. But then I thought about it and I, and I said to myself, you know what? I actually do sound like a dude who is telling people to have faith in corporations, to don't worry about greedy rich people. Mm. And it helped me step back for a minute and reframe my philosophy as one of saying, don't trust in institutions or individuals. Don't trust in good corporations or good candidates. Trust in good incentives, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't have been able to do that if I didn't have someone negatively coming at me and, and, and me taking a look at that and saying, well, don't be, don't be defensive. Is there anything I can learn about how I'm showing up in this person's world? And it, it realized that, it helped, helped me realize that sometimes when I talk about things like faith or positivity, I actually do sound like a guy who just naively believes that everything is magical. That's not what I really believe, but sometimes I just like am so quick to just push through the negative stuff that I sound like someone who believes that there is no negativity, mm. you know? So I, yeah, I think we you can use learn the term more negativity way. though, and we, we, we place a value judgment on it, right? It presupposes that negative is bad, mm -hmm. positive mm -hmm. is good. Mm -hmm. But of course, we can name scenarios in which, you know, again, I would say there's no good or bad, but like, let's, we can name scenarios where being negative is the good option, or yeah. I'm saying that sure. in quotes again, or being positive is the, quote, bad option, the not ideal, the not right, the not appropriate for the scenario. And so negative and, and, and positive aren't binary, they aren't, they, aren't synony, they aren't binary synonyms for good and bad. It's not, negative doesn't equal sinful, and right. positive doesn't equal righteous. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. All right, I got another um, one that I wanna read from you guys this one is ryan and i thought this was super interesting as someone who grew up being discouraged to vote because of my religious affiliation i like to encourage you all to go and vote even if only in your local election voting is a privilege your vote matters now we did a lot of talking about the whole voting thing yeah uh, in we a, just in a did a podcast about the election yeah. yeah but but what was interesting about this to me is i grew up in an entirely different kind of context where in Christian culture during political season, it's like that's a bigger gospel to preach than Jesus Christ. Mm. And Christians are way more bold in general at telling you to go vote for God's candidate or go for, vote for this person who's standing for the right things than they are with actually talking about what the actual Christian gospel is. And so, so I'm not used to an environment where people are like, don't vote, don't vote. I feel like, man, God, why didn't I get that child? <laughs> Can I have that life? I, I want to yeah. go convert to whatever religion that right. was. No, uh, but I want to hear your thoughts on it. What was that like? And, and what, yeah, what did that even look like? Well, I mean, so I was raised Jehovah's Witness and their whole thing is, is, you know, we stay politically neutral, so we don't vote. We don't have political opinions. We thro throw our hands in the air and we leave it up to, you know, uh, God and you know for this for the, the matter of voting it, they taught you that you're voting for a demon essentially they had this mm. I they have this idea 
that you know Satan is ruling the world. Certain demons. I mean, this isn't a Jehovah's Witness belief, but my dad would say things like, "Oh, you know, certain demons have rule over different countries, and all these demons they're they're fighting each other, yeah. and they're they're trying to prove which one's right." When really, like, none of them are right. And you know, Jesus is going to come back and wave a magic wand, kill all the demons, and everything's going to be perfect, right? Um, so it, it yeah, it, it was really um, it really wasn't that bad growing up in it. But hindsight, I look at it and it's like, what a disservice, man, to like tell me not to vote, like to to discourage me from trying to have just a little bit of an effect on the policy, on the rulers, on, you know, on even on a local community level. I mean, there are some and we talked about this in the uh, the election podcast that we did. There are some things you vote for and you're like why do why do i need to vote for this Mm. but for me um you know it's it's a privilege to live in a democracy even though like this is this isn't the best democracy ever like i mean i'm not saying that our system is perfect but you know to have any say at all to me is a privilege and you know what it's not that your vote matters in the sense of like you're going to determine who is ruling as much as your the way I feel is like someone's participation in this you know democratic system that we have like to me um again it's a privilege and we should we should exercise that now we also talked about how not voting is also a way to vote too which you know I mean like I I can totally buy into that um but I guess for me it's like a personal matter of I was I was raised, you know, suppressed in many ways. One of them was voting. I mean, they are <laughs> voting suppressors, I guess, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. And uh, I, I, I don't like the idea that I was suppressed like that. So that's why, you know, I feel like it's necessary to be like, hey, look, like I grew up not being able to vote essentially or being, being you know, my vote being suppressed. I don't want your vote to be suppressed. Like at least if you if you vote on the ballot or if you don't vote like at least exercise what you want to do not you know not just do something because society makes you feel like you have to do you know whatever i don't know if that makes sense or not but yeah it makes plenty of sense um it, it sounds like you you divorced yourself in a healthy way from this guilt-driven relationship to voting if mm-hmm. i vote i am an enemy of god right or or i'm i'm supporting devils and you, like so many people who grew up in religious environments, once you grow up, you've got to decide what you're going to do with that for yourself. And even mm-hmm. if you hold on to what your parents taught you, it's, it's got to be your own. Mm-hmm. One follow-up to that, are you still connected with old family and friends from that religious tradition? And do, do they give you crap about it? Or Oh, uh, the only Jehovah's Witness in my family is my father and then his, my stepmother. Uh, and they don't talk to me at all because I left the organization. Also, I'm living with a woman who, you know, who I consider my wife, but because we don't have the actual piece of paper, we are living in sin. Um, but so, so no, I mean, the, the short answer is no, I don't associate with anyone who's still a Jehovah's witness. And honestly, like, it's not out of me not wanting to associate with them. Like they look at me like I'm an apostate. They look at Mm. me like I am oh, I've joined Satan's world and now we have to brush Ryan off. And unfortunately, you know, the world took him and, you know, hopefully he'll come back. But, you know, uh, until then, like, we're not going to associate with him. I mean, I've had like, I've started conversation with, uh, with Jehovah's Witnesses before, um, like who come to my door and very quickly they, 
are like putting up a wall and leaving because I will challenge them on some of the things. And they're, they're like, like oh, oh, yeah. They're like, oh, this guy's challenging me. And that's, I mean, just in general, like that's one of the biggest disservices too growing up, growing up is they are so fearful. Jehovah's Witnesses are so fearful of you reading any criticism about them because they know that there's some very valid things out there that say, hey, Jehovah's Witnesses, it's you're not actually holier than thou because that's what Jehovah's Witnesses, that's why they don't vote. Oh, we're above that. Mm-hmm. We're, we're above, you know, m- mixing with the world. And uh, to the point where if you're caught reading anything that's critical about Jehovah's Witnesses, like you could be you could be kicked out of the church for it. And uh, what's that? What that has helped me do as an adult is really appreciate when someone uh, not criticizes, but you know, when I have an argument, like when you and I talk about stuff, like when we disagree on, you know, I, I had the thought of if you don't vote, then you can't talk about politics. Like that doesn't make sense to me. And we, you know, we had a conversation around that, and I'm like, oh, like I actually can't see TK's point of view, and it helped me mold a uh, a firmer. Uh, position on the matter that was different from where it started and that to me is a that that's a stronger way to live than to just like put up walls and not listen to things so yeah um i i really resent the fact that growing up i mean i was pretty much you know told to like not look at any other arguments and what they could have done for you there is instead of saying no Mm -hmm. they could actually do what tk does and say yes to something Mm -hmm. vote for yourself Sure. In a way. Yeah. yeah. Or here's the mo- more compelling argument than no, and there's demons in charge of different countries. <laughs> yeah. Um, Dude, it's, he, yeah. He, yeah. Here's here's a more compelling and even better empowering reason to do what we're doing. Because I what I'm hearing from you was no empowerment. Right. There, there was never any sort of uh, uh, self empowerment or or group empowerment. It was don't do that because of right, wrong, should, shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Well, there is no should, shouldn't. Yeah. You know, I think one of the best things that any like educator or mentor could do, and you don't always have time for this in like a podcast format, but when there's an actual relationship, like in your case, and you have many times to go over different ideas, I think it's helpful to say, look, here's what I believe. And here are my reasons for it. But here are some of the arguments that people make against my position. And, and here's why I disagree with them. And here are some sources you can look into if you wanna hear what they would say about what I believe and what the people who defend what I believe have to say. Mm. I, I think it's important when you teach people things that you give them a sense of context for what society's relationship to that idea is. Like it's, it's healthy to know when an aspect of your belief system is fringe and when an aspect of your belief system is mainstream, not because that says anything about the value of the belief itself, but it it helps you engage other people in an informed way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's very valuable for me to know when I'm saying something that everybody dismisses this as crazy. That that actually helps me navigate the conversation more effectively. Mm-hmm. Many of these Absolutely. systems, many of these systems are are scaffoldings that actually block the truth, mm. though, and so. When it's, you know, you could say my belief is fringe or it's mainstream or whatever it is, but if it's preventing access to the truth, Mm. then it doesn't matter what the belief is. It's inherently harmful. It's, it's a lie. 
God, you know what's amazing, man? It's like Jehovah's Witnesses, they call what their beliefs are the truth. Mm. Oh, and, and in fact, I mean, the, the terminology is like, oh, Ryan, he left the truth. But it's so funny. It's almost like people are so concerned about having the truth that they ignore the truth. I don't know if that makes sense at all. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. But it's like, yeah. They, they treat, people treat what they're calling the truth as if it's something that doesn't have the ability to stand to scrutiny. Yeah. Like if it, if By the way, truth is the only thing that has that can stand up to all scrutiny. Yeah. Yeah. And so if if you have a belief that can't stand up to all scrutiny, mm-hmm. then it's not the truth. Mm-hmm. And even with us, I, I, I'm not going to say minimalism is the truth. Mm-hmm. I think it exposes truths about our society. Yeah. And when you find a truth... As in, consumerism is a scam. That's a truth to me. It, not to me. It's a truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when you look at that, though, it actually solves your problem. When you look at a truth, you know, uh, Kapil Gupta talks about this. If you look at a, a, a truth, mm. it actually solves the problem once and for all. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and I, when we stumbled across this truth about consumerism, mm-hmm. no more have I, have I felt... Have I felt burdened by the need to own a Lexus? Before I owned two Lexuses because I bought into this falsehood, this lie Mm -hmm. that this type of consumerism would bring me happiness, contentment. Mm. But actually happiness was the problem. Chasing happiness always leads to misery. In every instance, chasing happiness because you can't have happiness without misery. And so what I was really doing, without knowing it, I was chasing happiness, but misery was chasing me. Mm. And and, and just to be clear on this, it's happiness as an idealized, absolute, all-pervasive final state. I'm going to get into this position Mm. where I feel good. And that good feeling is secure. Right. As opposed to recognizing that our emotions are a lot more volatile than that. I'm not saying that happiness is bad. Sure. I'm saying that happiness, and particularly the, it's in our constitution, the pursuit of happiness, that's actually the problem. Then manic people have it figured out. They would, right? (laughs) Right. and, and, And so when we are happy... What we're really saying, because we all know that happiness is, is fleeting, right? And and so when, when we're searching out happiness, there's always going to be, it's it's the same coin. Happiness on one side, misery on the other side. I, I, I do, I do kind of want to say, though, I think we, we, this is similar to a conversation we had about positive thinking, right? I think in some cases, happiness is just sort of like an easy, safe, convenient term to refer to something like wholeness or meaningfulness. Yes. But but it is also true that that word has been so superficialized that it's now become necessary to substitute other words for it, like healthy Mm -hmm. or, 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 um, you know, some, my, my term that I use is emotional versatility, right? Developing your capacity to, to channel all, 
emotional energy in a constructive and creative direction, developing your ability to process your feelings in a healthy, life-giving way mm -hmm. and not making a God out of any feeling state. Like in some moments, I'm going to feel jealous. In some moments, I'm going to feel happy for another person's success. Mm -hmm. And both of those are just experiences. And what's important is that I have the ability to dance mm -hmm. with both of them. Yes. You know? um, but, but yeah, so, so I, I, I also don't use that term happiness anymore because I think it's just one of those words that that we may have lost. So this is the first you know, page of our book. You know what's interesting about the the about being happy is that I was at a point in my life where if I woke up and I didn't feel happy, I felt like I was failing. And that's that's where the problem that's the problem I have with happiness. Like you said, we treat it as a god. Yeah. And uh yeah, that's where the It depends on what we want, right? And, yeah. and if the 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 weird thing is if you want happiness, know that what you also want Mm -hmm. It's unquestionable. You also want misery. Mm. And and so uh, read this first page of our, this is our first book, Minimalism. Are you truly happy? That's mm. it. Just start, stop right there. <laughs> that's the only thing that's, that's, that's true on the first minimalism page. right yeah. there. Just yeah. read that one sentence. And <laughs> I asked that question at the beginning of this book, not to say minimalism is going to make, because that's how people interpret it first. Oh, minimalism is actually going to make me happy. Yeah. No, no, no. Later in the book, we say happiness is the problem and if you, you it's not the point of minimalism it's not the point of living intentionally the point is to live a meaningful life happiness can be a byproduct but only if you're not chasing happiness yeah as long as you chase happiness you're also chasing misery yeah, yeah. we got time for one more probably all right this one is from you josh Letting go isn't something you do. It's something you stop doing. Yeah. So mm. we often think about letting go and, and the physical manifestation of that is cluttering, right? Or decluttering, rather. Uh, cluttering is what we did throughout our entire 20s. <laughs> and then... <laughs> Dude, we're going to come out with a cluttering book. <laughs> How to clutter. The 10 best ways to clutter your closet. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, decluttering, we think of as getting rid of stuff right and then of course it extends beyond the stuff it can be relationships and habits and commitments and obligations rituals etc we can declutter all of those things and it starts with the stuff though and letting go isn't when you isn't something you do you stop doing something meaning you stop clinging mm. that can be clinging to beliefs Oh, this thing's going to make me happy. This thing's going to serve a purpose. It's going to uh, stop clinging to my idea of the world. Stop clinging to a hypothetical future uh, in which I'm going to have this thing or need this thing or I'm going to acquire this thing and then I'm going to be happy. Mm. You, you got an example you can give like any story from your own life or anyone else for sure yeah. I have I have countless examples with respect to this so I, I think it starts with the stuff so we can talk about some some stuff examples here but then I do think it will permeate to other areas of life I will often say that our material possessions are a physical manifestation of what's going on inside us so if you deal with the outward clutter you can look inside and deal with that internal 
mental, emotional, spiritual clutter, right? So let's talk about examples of, of things. So you, you got me feeling real good about my Jordan poster, by the way. <laughs> that that is a manifestation of something going on inside of me. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm loving I'm loving this. <laughs> yeah, idol worship. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so uh, let's talk about stuff. Uh, so I, for the longest time, had a big house. Uh, again, nothing bad or wrong with having a big house. Mm -hmm. This isn't a, a value judgment. I had a big house. I had three cars with, you know, my, there was two people in the household with three cars at one point. We had... Um, three bathrooms we had you know two living rooms etc right nothing inherently wrong there's nothing bad about these things but i i said to myself that this is who i am this is my identity right and so i began to cling to that identity and in our culture we often measure status through the accumulation of trinkets so the average American house has 300,000 items in it. I had you know, big screen TVs and you know, the nicest, I had 70 dress shirts. Why the hell do you need 70 dress shirts, right? Well, because I'm a business, serious businessman. Mm -hmm. So I need 12 suits. Well, there's only seven days in a week. Even if I'm wearing a suit every single day, do I need 12 suits? And so, but no, I, I told myself that, that not only was more better, but I also didn't have a concept of enough. That word never even came to mind. Enough was for poor people, right? And I grew up mm. poor, and we were getting by on just enough. Oh, no, 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 no. If you can figure out what enough is, that's when you're actually rich. Ryan did a whole TED Talk on this, a, a rich life with less. We talk about living a meaningful life with less, but it's not less than what we need. It's less than the abundance that has been thrust upon us because it's an overabundance. See, we are stuffocated, right? And so we are suffering with our stuff. We're just suffering, right? And, and, and I think that we realize that all the accumulations, the Lexuses, the big house, the Brooks Brothers suits, the corporate career letting go wasn't pushing those things away it was stop i had to stop identifying with those things all i had to do was stop clinging yeah. that's what i mean by that tweet yeah yeah because i and i do see what you're saying it's like you <clears throat> if you didn't stop identifying no matter how many times you let go you would never be content with the way you're living it doesn't solve the problem because you're not admitting the truth yet because mm. you can and it's the reason that ryan and i don't write articles like here are the six top ways to declutter your closet methods and rituals and how to's and rules don't work and i can give you three tips i, I can prove it to you michael jordan you <laughs> Big Michael Jordan fan, right? And so what if I showed you exactly how he won all six championships step by step? Could you do it as well? Absolutely not. No, of course not. But I could give you the how-to. In fact, I could get him to give you the how-to. One step better, and this is a Kapil Gupta thing. If you, if you look at, if he were to give you the step-by-step -step instructions and write them down and somehow go back in history and give those step-by-step -step instructions to young Michael Jordan that Michael Jordan would also fail 
because the step-by-step instructions miss all the nuance, all the beauty, all the mysticism of living and going mm-hmm. through the experience. You can watch him dribble a basketball all day. You can watch him shoot. You can watch the fadeaway. You can watch him dunking from the free throw line. But watching it or even being showed how, shown how to do it doesn't mean you're also going to be able to do it. The only way he was able to do it was to actually go through it. So, so this isn't a hypothetical for me. I was highly inspired growing up by the story of him being cut from his high school basketball team. Mm-hmm. And I tried out for my high school basketball team. Uh, freshman year didn't make the team. Sophomore year didn't make the team. Junior year didn't make the team. Do you think I was discouraged? I was right where I wanted to be. Mm. I was in the optimum psychological state. I was glad that I got cut because Mm -hmm. this was a way for me to realize in my own life the story of my hero. Mm. How interesting is this going to be when I finally make it? And I remember putting together a workout plan, me me and and my closest friend at that time, and we would get up at 5 in the morning, and we would run a few miles. Then we'd shoot 100 free throws with our left hand, 100 free throws with our right hand. We'd do uh, figure eight drills with the left. We'd like dribble for an hour. And we had like a full day of the summer. We were kids and didn't have jobs. And I went into my senior year ready to make the basketball team and do the Jordan thing, Mm -hmm. and I didn't make the basketball team. (laughs) And no, I didn't give up on my dream. I was honest enough with myself to just acknowledge the feedback from reality I was getting about my level of skill when it came to basketball. And so so I, I resonate with that. And what I had to learn how to do with other people's stories and other people's how-to advice is to accept them only as imperfect, imprecise expressions of underlying principles of success that are at work in everybody's lives, but has to be uniquely translated into your life, which means that any piece of advice, no matter how good it is, will destroy you hmm. if you don't think critically and creatively about how you're going to work that out in your own unique life. And the lesson for me to take from Jordan's failure wasn't you can make your high school basketball team or go to the NBA if you work hard enough. The lesson was in the pursuit of things that mean something to you, you will have disappointments and setbacks along the way. And you can choose to process those things in a way that makes you better. Mm-hmm. And you can be the goat of your own life, your, your own destiny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, That's a great place to end it. Love TK it. Coleman. Fee.org slash Rev1 if you want to check out his podcast. Patrons, thank you so much for your support. We really appreciate it. Amen. See you. Cheers. The Minimalists. <laughs>